Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Two Cyber Chicks podcast. You're about to join Erica and Jax for an inclusive cybersecurity conversation designed to educate and break the stereotypes of cybersecurity professionals while providing life hacks on how to handle burnout, networking, and goal setting. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. All right. Hello. Are you ready for this, Erica? Oh, I'm so excited. I'm grooving and moving. I know. I missed you a couple weeks ago. I was out, and you and Chloe got to go on episode without me, so I can imagine that was awesome. But I think today's guest is going to be fire hot. So today we have the distinct privilege of hosting a luminary in the field of cybersecurity, actually a dear friend of mine, if it's okay for me to call him that, Lester Godsey. He is the chief information security officer and also the privacy officer for Maricopa County. And if you don't know about Maricopa County, it is the fourth largest county in the United States. So let that sink in just a little bit. Lester also spearheads all the cybersecurity and the data privacy initiatives for the organization. Now, on top of that, Erica, he has illustrious journey spanning over 26 years, intertwining local government and also higher education in IT experiences. And now, if you didn't think that is enough, he also is a public speaker speaker within cybersecurity. He has graced numerous local and national conferences with his insights. He's also an educator, and he's taught at the collegiate level for over a decade, enriching minds in the areas from technology to project management. Also, to top it off, he is recognized, and this is amazing, as one of the Government Technologies 2021 Top 25 Doers, Dreamers, and Drivers. And I cannot wait for us to dive into that. So Lester's multifaceted background even includes a BA in music, coupled on top of all of that with some certifications to include CISM and a PMP certification, just naming a few things. So no big deal. No big deal. Are you ready for this? Oh, yeah. Let's bring Lester on. Bring him on. Hello, Lester. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I, you should do all my intros, Jax. So from this point on, so that that was awesome. I just wanted to make sure like you've done so much and I'm like, and I don't even think when I've had you on my other show, I even covered all of it and I did some research on you. So I am super excited because wow, you've done so much. I'm like, this is going to be an awesome episode. That's a very colorful way of saying I'm old, but I appreciate it nonetheless. So (laughs) no, you've got an impressive background. Uh, I don't even, I mean, I'm looking at this intro and yes, it is phenomenal. But Lester, looking through your socials and everything, you've got you've got even more to it. So I'm super excited for today's conversation and to really like kick things off. You have this unique background that spans from music to technology. Can you think of a time when your when your diverse education informed your approach to cybersecurity and leadership? Let's think about how those two worlds intertwined. Yeah, you know, I think actually kind of my background is more indicative of why I 
took the course that I did. And so my music uh, journey, I guess, wasn't even supposed to be music originally. Uh, I had every intention on majoring in architecture going into, into college. And, uh, and I took drafting in high school. I did great. I really enjoyed it. And I took architecture my senior year of high school, and uh, I hated it for some reason. So I felt like at that time I had a major in something. So it was kind of a last ditch effort. And I'm like, oh, I'll just, I'll, I actually was originally a music ed major. Uh, I was going to teach band in the public schools. That was my goal. And then, uh, so I tried that for four and a half years. I started doing my student teaching in the public schools. I realized I didn't care for kids. So if I'm being brutally honest with you and your audience, so I, I got to do something. So I tried computer science for a semester, literally failed all my classes. I got a 0, 0.0. Um, I should not be so honest with you guys uh, while this is being <laughs> recorded. But, Love it. Yeah. But then, so I got a 0, 0.0. I'm like, I got to graduate with something. So I did my general BA in music. So, and then, uh, then I went to grad school, but I was originally a print major. Uh, that was boring. I was, I was a computer graphics major for a while, realized I had no graphic talent. So this is a long-winded way of saying, I think people who are good in cybersecurity, there's different paths to get there. But my path involved me being like an inch deep, but a mile wide. And I think that's been my whole life, right? So, you know, I'm an amateur writer as well. I've written not only just technical journals and stuff like that. So I've done a little bit of everything. I Having, having that broad, diverse background, I think is at least personally helped me be successful in cybersecurity because as you guys know, cyber touches everything. So like from the OSI network model, it's layer one through seven and then add layer eight politics or whatever you want, right? And so having that kind of diverse background, I think has been helpful for me at least, so. Lester, I gotta ask. So you mentioned the band. As an orc dork, only people that you pick up that reference were either an orchestra or band. What are your instruments? So, so I was a clarinet major, but you know, when you're music ed, you have to learn all the instruments to yeah. a fair degree. I'm happy to say I got A's and, uh, you know, the high strings and the low strings, you know, so that see, that was another thing. I was, I wasn't the best clarinetist by any stretch of the imagination, but I was really good at almost all the instruments. So like I doubled really well on the brass instruments, which is really unusual for woodwinds, although class piano piano is my worst instrument hands down oddly enough so but yeah i i played violin viola cello bass etc etc so incredible lester that's amazing i'm a i'm a fellow uh violinist so music to my ears i'm a flutist flutist over here we all went to band like do you, you know erica do you do you violinists go to like band camp because i know we, no, we did orchestra like, so orchestra and band yeah. were separate yeah okay but you know we were all we were all, all one of the same because we were the music kids that weren't doing you know choir essentially <laughs> yeah, yeah there you go <laughs> i love that uh all right so Lester, as you know, I work in the state and local space. I have a client I absolutely adore. Now, they don't, a lot of individuals may not know this, but state and local, you don't get a lot of funding a lot of times. It really depends on the size of the county. And for my client, I mean, their, their challenges are very, very small. So their challenges are going to be different than probably what you're seeing within Maricopa County. So can you share 
be, since you've been in this role for a while, some of the unique challenges that you have faced navigating cybersecurity challenges, especially within security and privacy for the fourth largest county? Yeah, you know, so you, you bring up a good point, Jax. And so on one hand, I feel very fortunate in that I can legitimately say resource availability, whether it's staffing and or just funding for software services, that hasn't been my number one challenge. Um, <clears throat> we did go through quite a stint. Uh, we're fully staffed now, but for the longest time, I had a hard time hiring into the role. Um, just finding people who were passionate about the mission, passionate enough to overlook the lack of salary, <laughs> if I'm being brutally honest with you. Um, you know, government is government, right? So, um, but I have a great team. So our challenges, interestingly enough, uh, do revolve in some part around being the fourth largest county in the United States and all the all the attention that comes unwarranted in our undesired, I should say, in a lot of instances. And so I know we're going to talk a little bit later, but uh, uh, probably, the, honestly, the best example of that is the elections. So the 2020 to 2022 election and all the preparation that we're doing for the upcoming uh, presidential election next year. So, yeah. So that's probably some of the, the biggest challenges. But uh, you and I, on your podcast, we talked about uh, enterprise risk management. And I know that was something that you were very passionate about. And one thing that uh, government agencies in particular, if they're not thinking about this already, they should be, which is reputational risk. And so that's that's something, I, I shouldn't say new, but something newly formalized, at least in our environment, where we have to take that into consideration. And that frankly pay, plays a huge role in the kind of risks that we as Maricopa County see on a daily basis. So before we get to the topic of, you know, elections, I want to just ask really quickly about um, the award that you received, the Government Technologies 2021 Top 25 Doers, Dreamers, and Drivers. I mean, wow, what a significant accomplishment. This award represents a diverse group of IT and other professionals united by that one goal of making public sector services better for residents. Um, so how do you see yourself in terms of driving innovation in cybersecurity, data privacy for the public sector. You know, and I appreciate that. <clears throat> and I also appreciate your acknowledgement, Erica, that what we do as a government agency is for our constituents. You know, at the end of the day, our motivation isn't turning a profit. It's how can we deliver those services that are critical to our constituents, whether those constituents trust us, they don't trust us, whether they see value in us, it doesn't matter. We still have a job to do on their behalf, right? And so um, <clears throat> so I, I was very I, I was very honored to receive that award. Um, you know, one of the stereotypes that government faces is that we're slow, we're lazy, and we're not innovative. You know what I mean? And so um, I would like to think that me and but my team in particular really kind of bucked that trend. And so I know some of the things that we've done from a cybersecurity perspective is not only unusual from a, a state and local perspective, but just in cybersecurity in general. So some of the things that we've done that are really unique to us is just 
preparation and execution of our program, in particular with regards to addressing things like reputational risk. How does that translate from a proactive perspective as well as a reactive perspective? And so um, internally within my own team, just to give you an example, um, my security operations team doesn't just do uh, ops, traditional ops stuff, if you will. So they're just not hands on keyboard. They We've extended their responsibility uh, through the use of third-party MSSP services. So they have time to focus on things like getting upskilled on red teaming pen testing, offering technical security assessments to the 50 plus different departments in Maricopa County. On our assurance side, we do in-house risk assessments as well too, uh, using that same model. And then additionally, my ops, my ops team in particular is the most mature function out of my security program. And so we've done some incredibly unique, uh, I guess, uh, incident response preparation. So election related, uh, COVID related. And so th I think I mentioned this on our, uh, your podcast, Jax, but um, so for example, we do a daily cyber brief that goes out to all the IT leadership in Maricopa County. So IT is very decentralized in Maricopa County. There's a number of departments that have their own IT shops. Some of them have their own dedicated security stuff. So we do a daily intelligence brief that goes into a certain level of detail that not only talks about what are we seeing at the firewall level, email level, endpoint, but also we do brand uh, and uh, uh, brand and sentiment analysis as well. So what are people saying about Maricopa County on social media platforms? How's that translate into enhanced risk to the organization? We disseminate all that information out uh, to all the departments in Maricopa County on a daily basis. We summarize that information uh, and we also send that out on a weekly basis to uh, our county manager's office. And we also started including uh, the chiefs of staff for our board of supervisors as well. So they can see in a more packaged manner, if you will, what is it that's trending this week from a cyber reputational perspective about Maricopa County? What are the things that we're seeing? What do they need to be aware of? And what are we doing to address those risks and reducing those risks down to an acceptable level to the organization? Um, to my knowledge, I'm sure there's folks out there, but to my knowledge, I don't know of any other organization, certainly government, that is doing anything like that. So, so I'm very fortunate to have the support from our board of supervisors, the resources available to do that. But then in turn, we have a heightened level of risk and being in the epicenter of misdis and malinformation. So those are the things we need to do to be successful. So. Talk about a great way of communicating out. I mean, that's that's probably one of the key things that I've witnessed when I'm working with organizations is the lack of communication, communicating risk throughout the organization, um, and then getting support from leadership. And you have both of those. That is like, it's like unheard of a lot of times. Well, you know, yeah. And it's really interesting. I, I would never call myself a marketer, you know, not that there's anything wrong with being in that field, right? But this job in particular has taught me the value of good marketing, right? And so, yeah. and it's not just making stuff up, it's just communicating efficiently and effectively for your audience. What are the challenges that the organization is facing? What are you doing? And that then becomes more almost of a cyclical sort of thing where the management in particular values really understands what it is that you're doing from a cyber perspective, which is 
because let's face it, us cyber folks tend to do a pretty bad job on speaking a language that the business understands, right? But if we can do that, if we can put things in, in, consumable, in a consumable fashion, then all that's going to do is continue to build more and more support for the organization and uh, continue that cycle. So we've been very fortunate, but I would say government in particular doesn't do a good job internally within marketing its own reason for existence, you know? And so uh, that's, that's been a, a well-learned lesson on my part. Wow. A lot of lessons learned. Uh, wealth of knowledge. Okay, so pivoting a little bit, you were touching on it a little bit, and then we dove into the award and and talking about some of those key things that you're doing within your organization. And now I want to kind of take it back a couple of steps and talk about the elections because this is a hot topic. I mean, it's right around the corner. Uh, misinformation, disinformation. Now we are having you know a lot of emerging technologies that are coming out. So you know it's right around the corner. We also know that social media plays a key role within the election. So given the ubiquity of social media today, what are some of the critical considerations that you would say that state and local governments need to really focus on as far as cyber and kinetic security, especially with these elections looming? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, you know, I think... My observations from the 2020 election cycle versus even just uh, the 2022, which wasn't a presidential, but in Arizona, we had a senator seat that wasn't, you know, uh, being contested, that sort of thing. And so just within that two year span, I saw a major shift in TPPs, you know, tactics, threats and processes, right, where in 2020, we saw all the mystics and malinformation, but we saw every kind of cyber attack you could think of as well too. So we saw DDoS, multiple DDoS attacks. We saw passive active uh, uh, network scan, intrusion attempts. We saw data scraping attacks. We saw vendor supply chain, uh, advanced persistent threat, you know, threats, uh, threat actors, et cetera, et cetera. In 2022, we saw we saw a little bit of unusual cyber activity, but the vast majority of the threats we we observed was missed this amount of information on social media. And so um, my theory behind that is bad guys are just as smart as us, right? So they're gonna take the path of least resistance to get there an objective. And so what I'm expecting in the 2024 election cycle is because it is a presidential election cycle, We'll see a greater involvement uh, from nation states. We'll probably see more of a, a 2020 type of approach as opposed to 2022, but with a greater emphasis on mis this and malinformation. Um, we've already seen uh, pretty bad attempts. I'll, not, not that I'm challenging anybody to do a better job of this, but we've already seen pretty poor deep fakes for example, used against Maricopa County. I suspect with the upcoming election cycle, we'll see that quality ramped up significantly. Um, we've already had, you know, uh, so back in, uh, after 2020, we, we had some photo manipulation of, oh, look at the, you know, where they're storing the um, equipment for voting. There's a piece of paper on the wall that says router name and password, you know, we use third-party, you know, analysis tools to show that that was a doctored image, et cetera, et cetera. We're gonna, we're definitely gonna see more of that kind of stuff. You know, I went to DEFCON this past year. It was my first DEFCON, um, 
and uh, I participated in the misinformation village over there. And so um, we used uh, AI to create in, in that session, uh, mis, dis and malinformation campaigns, you know, and so um, we're fully expecting to see uh, AI generative AI used against us either directly to build that sort of thing and or to enhance existing TPPs like phishing campaigns, things of that sort. So, but Jax, you know, I will say our biggest, I think uh, social media in particular, the two biggest impacts social media has had is one, for at least in Maricopa County's experience, I can't speak for anybody else, the use of social media is a better indicator of kinetic risk, risk as opposed to cyber risk. And so a great example of that was with this last election cycle in 22, um, they were using social media to coordinate uh, people staking out ballot Dropbox locations. And these individuals were in full tactical gear, automatic weapons. But what we also discovered was that they were also stationed where they were they were recording people's or trying to record people's uh, license plates and were also going to attempt to follow people who were dropping off their their ballots because they thought that they were ballot mules, you know, which is illegal, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so <clears throat> so we think that social media is a better indication of potential kinetic or physical risk to the organization. And unfortunately, we have lots of experience with that. But the the one thing I would say for all the government listeners out there is the thing that social the use of social media has proven is you don't have to be right in what you say on social media. It just has to be enough to cause plant that seed of doubt in people's minds. So you don't need a successful DDoS attack. You don't need to successfully compromise an endpoint. You just need to erode the credibility in your government organizations to the point where people question the validity of what it is you do and how you go about doing it. And unfortunately, yeah. Maricopa County has way too much experience in that area. So, yep. Yeah, Lester, certainly experience, like just through your experience, really appreciate you shedding that light on all of the different challenges that you're seeing with the new emergence of technology, the AI, the deepfakes. I think, um, you know, for everyone that's listening, it's good for everybody to be informed that this is out there, that this is the world that we're living in today. Um, and, I, and I'm sure, you know, there's, there's going to be different things that we continue to see, different strategies um, and challenges that will continue to, I guess, adjust. And I think from, from your perspective, um, what is the best way? Is, is awareness sufficient? I mean, how can people, um, how can we spread the word um, and continue to educate people that this is the new reality? Yeah, um, you know, so obviously awareness plays a big role in this. Um, and again, I might be showing my age here, but, uh, uh, you know, there's something to be said about how, the evolution of journalism, for example, right? And the, the, the distinction I make with journalism versus what's occurring now, especially on social media platforms, because there's been uh, studies out there, like Pew Research has done studies that show that a majority of Americans receive their news from social media as opposed to traditional media outlets like newspapers, stations, et cetera, et cetera, which is very disconcerting because 
from my perspective, at least ideally, our journalists follows, they have an ethical standard that, and a framework that they adhere to if they're actual journalists on doing things like validating facts, you know, et cetera, et cetera, reporting in a responsible and ethical way, whereas there's no such constraints on social media platforms. The media platforms don't exist to disseminate accurate information, you know, and they they exist to share information at a profit, you know, and so, and I'm and I'm not saying that social media should be something that they're they weren't intending to be. I'm just saying that that's kind of one of the challenges, unfortunately, right? And so, so from our perspective, yeah, awareness definitely is something along those lines, but I would also take that one step further with respect to question the source of information, regardless of where you get it from, right? And so um, there's no such thing as 100%, but at the same time, I think reasonable people can apply reasonable standards or expectations about what sources of information they should trust and which ones they shouldn't. And, and take, take, take it one step further do your due diligence you know if one source says something you know is there another source that is reporting something different or is there a history with regards to those sources of information you're consistently going to and what whether they're credible or not and so unfortunately i think you know the model is such that this social media platforms are going to continue operating the way they are they're i think that genie's out, out of the bottle already but I think we as consumers of information need to learn those skills and need to build that critical thinking, if you will, with regards to questioning where we're getting our information. So that's well, uh, very valid um, and appreciate your insights, Lester. So unfortunately, our show is coming to a close. I uh, wanted to thank you for sharing your wealth of knowledge, your expertise with us today. If any of our listeners or viewers uh, would love to follow your journey. What is the best place for them to follow, contact you, um, et cetera? Yeah, so um, uh, the best way to do so is through my LinkedIn. And so um, it'll be interesting on a personal note. I know I shared this with you, Jax, previously, but uh, I will be uh, retiring from government service in December of 24. I'm actually eligible to retire a little bit sooner, but I told, I committed to my staff that I would stick around through the next presidential election cycle because I don't want to leave them high and dry. So, um, Smart. <laughs> but so it'll be interesting to see where my journey leads me. But if you're interested in following, at least for now, uh, that, that's probably the best way to go about that. So amazing. Thank you so much, Lester. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, Jax. So for all of our uh, viewers, we are so excited that you're here. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Two Cyber Chicks. Wherever you're listening from, please make sure you like and subscribe. Um, if you have any suggestions for podcast guests or topics that you'd like to hear more from us, please shoot us an email at two, that's the number two, cyberchicks at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Two Cyber Chicks Podcast with Erica and Jax. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. 
If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Thank you.